HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Fields, the podcast. I'm Wythe Marshall. And I'm Melissa Metric. On Fields, we're bringing you the stories of people who are working in the world of urban agriculture. For money, for fun, for art, for justice, to feed the hungry, to green the city, or to uncover its history. In each episode of Fields, we'll delve into one kind of food that's grown in cities, one technology used to grow, or one project that teaches us something about our relationship to farming in urban environments. Moreover, we'll investigate all the whys behind getting up in the morning and working as a farmer in the city today. You don't need to be a farmer to enjoy this podcast, or even a foodie. We're going to tell fascinating stories and break down the realities and possible futures of urban farming to their elements. Hey there, Fields fans. Just a quick note. We taped this interview in the fall of 2022, but didn't publish it right away since we wanted to tape much more of season three first. That said, a conversation about farming in and on top of buildings in New Jersey, New York, and beyond is still timely and fascinating. Major thanks to Mary for her patience as we put season three together. With that, let's dive in. Hey, welcome to Fields, the unfinished story of urban agriculture. I'm Wythe Marshall, and I'm here, as always, uh, with my amazing uh, co-host. Hi, everyone. I'm Melissa Metric. <laughs> and uh, big thanks to our guest today, Mary Weatherill uh, from Green Food Solutions. Um, and we are very excited to be taping season three. We're really just excited to still be on Heritage Radio Network talking with different experts, practitioners, uh, historians, policymakers, um, and, and people engaged broadly in urban agriculture. Of course, we do have a big focus on uh, New York City because that's where we both live and work. Uh, and the greater New York City area, I should say, which also includes, you know, parts of New Jersey. I mean, we, we, we really have no um, parochial uh, bias. It's just we happen to live here. So um, it's really great to kind of kick things off with uh, someone also working locally. So thank you so much for making time. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we oftentimes actually, I was born and raised in Jersey City, so we sometimes call it like the, you know, the additional borough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's cool. It's like very cool now. Um, well, so I guess to kick things off, Mary, can you tell us a little about yourself and just, yeah, just general sort of intro? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
just a little bit about me, I guess, like my background, honestly, uh, was not originally in farming. Uh, I have my backgrounds in health and wellness. I uh, have a business background. I've had a um, uh, I've been an author of a book about diabetes and massage, and I've actually uh, have a wellness center in Montclair, New Jersey, um, that I've operated for about 20 years. Uh, my journey into agriculture really was through seeing um, kind of something that like was very important to me around health and wellness. Um, my own journey personally, I had lost about like 90 pounds, uh, I would say about 10 years ago now. And um, our food system was something that really was very important to me, how the quality of our food, or in many cases, the lack of quality of our food, um, or the lack of diversity of the types of food, um, you know, uh, that were are not accessible, um, or very, very unaffordable. Um, eating very highly quality, uh, high, you know, high quality foods, like even, um, I'm now a vegan, but at the time I was eating meat, like picking the cows that I, I mean, these are luxuries that like not everybody has access to. And, um, you know, even for myself, like it was really like, uh, a choice to, you know, spend money in those particular ways because health was so important to me. Um, but, you know, my background, I grew up born and raised in Jersey City. Uh, stomping grounds have been New York my entire life. Uh, you know, just, I went to the new school for social research. Um, I uh, believe in getting an education for an education's sake and not necessarily getting a job. So when I kind of went into urban farming and vertical farming, there was this whole world of um, bringing it to a level of higher education that I really thought was going to kind of take away access uh, to many people in urban areas, particularly um, from, you know, being able to uh, learn about how to grow food for themselves. And, um, you know, there's a, I guess, just also that whole idea of um, not just them having access to growing food for themselves, but I didn't really see that the solutions that were coming about in the industry were something that was going to truly start to address people being connected to their food. Uh, a lot of the vertical farms that kind of were coming around were very proprietary in nature, and nobody really was connecting with their food in those new circumstances. Um, and, you know, there was just something else that we saw that uh, needed to emerge um, and actually, when you and I met, wife, I kind of came up preliminarily um, before you joined, but um, that we were in Amsterdam, I think, when we originally met and then kind of reconnected in New York when we got back. But I wasn't even in the industry at that time. Uh, I think seeing so many products and systems being produced um, and just having a background in business, I just saw that as a sure way to confuse farmers of the future as to you know, uh, what we're now seeing, these statistics emerging about how the number, you know, the one num number one thing that farmers say that, you know, they wish they could change if they could go back is the systems they've chosen and things like that. So it was kind of like just what I know about business and um, just from a historical perspective, even just about how other businesses have started. Um, I kind of walked into that trade show and was like, wow, this is a problem. So, <laughs> um, and I thought that there was a lot of uh, just education that needed to be brought about. And it kind of, through its own journey at Green Food Solutions, we ended up kind of evolving our, uh, our, our business model uh, and our approach uh, to kind of suit those, those aspects of what were really important to us. Well, can, that's a great place to stop and ask. So what is Green Food Solutions? For someone who doesn't know, maybe you could just walk us through the basics. Like, what is your company? What do you do? 
Absolutely. So Green Food Solutions is a vertical farming training company uh, that provides equipment. So um, we, our mission is essentially to empower what we like to call a new local food system. Uh, there's a few ways in which we do empower this. Uh, we created um, what we like to call a farm amenity. Actually, you visited our very first flagship farm amenity in Bushwick, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, we started that in 2018. And now currently today, uh, we have seven farm amenities with seven more in the works, um, including San, not San Francisco, San Diego, Philadelphia. We currently have them in Boston, uh, four in Jersey City, one in Manhattan and one in Brooklyn. Um, so we, you know, have put these vertical farms inside of residential buildings, essentially, because when we were farmers ourselves, we worked out of shipping containers and 10,000 square foot greenhouses. And what we saw is that all of that food was just going to very high-end restaurants or uh, grocery stores. And one of the farms um, uh, that, that we were working out of, we had rented space in, actually, it was a, a failing commercial farm in the Bronx. Uh, it was a 10,000 square foot greenhouse that um, uh, eventually was sold. But when we were renting a space there growing food, uh, it was on top of an affordable housing building. And it really sparked our idea of what we now call a farm amenity and where we, you know, sell and install the hydroponic equipment to the uh, developers or building owners and put in the programming and the service uh, to take care of the farm and educate the residents about their food. And all the food ends up being free for the people who live there. And it's actually really wonderful because we've shown the developers, uh, how they can actually, this is a win for their business model, um, and, you know, how that truly can empower local food happening faster, more affordably. Some of the locations that we have that are more in like co-working spaces that where it didn't work for them to make the food completely free, they're able to, you know, give the same high quality, freshly harvested food with zero carbon emissions associated with it due to the transportation of that food, completely eliminating that in our model. Um, all of this food is just fresh right there on site for people who live there or work there, or in some cases now for our commercial clients who dine there. But particular to our farm amenity model, these are all in residential buildings. And um, yeah, they've really been working and we're thankful that we're able to, actually we just uh, shipped one out to Tokyo actually uh, today. So, um, yeah, we were uh, working with them actually right before uh, th that developer. We were in Japan right before COVID had hit. And um, uh, we met with many developers in Tokyo and uh, they're all really interested in it. But just all the, the regulations, uh, you know, different um, uh, uh, I think customs, uh, arrangements. It took a, a while to get that kind of planned and organized, but, uh, um, we have a few locations actually that are looking to expand. We have another farm in Osaka that we're going to be putting in as well. And, uh, we are, we are installing one in a, one of the smallest islands in Japan. It's called Shikoku Island in a town called Kamiyama, a very progressive tech town, uh, uh, it's one of my favorite places in the world, actually. Uh, it's beautiful. I highly recommend it. Um, and, you know, so people are taking to our farm amenity concept, and it's really uh, something that helps us fulfill upon our mission um, to empower this local food system we'd like to see. 
Wow, congrats. Uh, that's 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 big. I didn't know you were worldwide now. Thank you. It seems very fast. Like, yeah, just the other day there was that first like, farm so in Like, so fast. Yeah. <laughs> like, so fast. And honestly, like, you know, I, I mean, you know, I mean, like, sometimes I think, like, why us, right? You know, like, you know, and, like, honestly, the number one feedback we tend to get is, like, the honesty. You know, they say that, you know, there's so many people in the industry with you know, oh, like they, they come across like with all this knowledge and, um, you know, like even just like consultants who will say, oh, you know, have a thousand statistics to spew at you and things like that. But really at the end of the day, like, how is this going to work for the person who may or want to put this on their property or how is this actually going to work for them? You know, and I think really spending the time with our, uh, flagship, uh, uh, clients, like, made a world of difference, like really like kind of case studying it and case studying it and making it work, um, uh, to the point that it was just something that we've never had to advertise. Like we're, they, developers apparently all know each other and they just refer us. So, um, so it's really been, um, you know, a wonderful win in the sense of that, like, honestly, I really, uh, it moves me honestly, because I, uh, you know, I mean, like, really, why us, right? You no, know, we're, you know, I don't even have an original background in farming. Uh, my co-founder at the time, um, she uh, she did. Uh, she has her master's in sustainable environmental systems and really opened my world to just really what was happening in our food system, um, where my food came from, and where, you know, like, how could I make a difference in not just my own life, about where I get my food and how I get it, but how we could do that truly for cities. Um, so the best way I saw that happening is through policy and through private sector. You know, I mean, I'm sure everyone else kind of sees that too, but, you know, there's there's just something to be said for just kind of um, striking up conversations with uh I guess, you know, what you want to see happen in the world, you know, and just like really going for it. So when I, I guess when I say like, why us to other people, they're like, because you did what it took to just get the job done, I guess. But, you know, I do, I do oftentimes just think humbly about it because, you know, there's definitely like people who have supported us in, you know, the, the, I guess, knowledge and that. And I think that's really what kind of ended up having us become a training company. So like when we first started out as farmers, what we saw were all the problems of what didn't work about farming on a small scale in a city and, um, everything from the feasibility to it, you know, how, you know, uh, getting contracts, uh, meeting, uh, 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 shelf life requirements or, you know, just like all of the different like regulations that go into, or, or minimums, meeting minimums of certain, uh, clients, it really proved to be extremely difficult for even like huge companies that were trying to start like, um, you know, like, I, I mean, well, I guess like, you know, um, the accelerator, you know, whatever that, uh, you know, that, uh, lecture was in, I guess, originally in 2015. I was finding that really interesting. Um, Mary, the things that you were bringing up in the sense of how it is kind of hard to be an urban farmer, um, in the city. And especially when you're selling the produce. Um, and it's kind of funny cause like in, in my background, I was thinking how lucky I am because I never really had to sell my produce either. So just this idea of like having to do a certain minimum amount 
And in urban areas, usually you don't have a lot of space. So it's like you're either going to grow many varieties where you're going to have a small amount of each variety, or you're going to grow, you know, a lot of similar varieties, unless you grow vertically, which, you know, that's, that's a key thing, um, to do with, with minimal space. Um, but I found that really interesting of just how hard it is to start out as like an urban farming company, if you're doing it like for profit or if you're selling it for market or something like that. So I really like that you kind of went over that and, and the challenges that you had in the beginning. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I, um, I guess, remembering what I was saying about that was, um, when we were farmers, we were selling the food, but what we saw that gap of information of just how things weren't working from a business perspective. And it's like, you know, I don't know, you know, I think it was Warren Buffett that came up with the expression fail fast. So like month one in a program that my co-founder at the time was paying a lot of money to be a part of, I just was like, wow, this isn't going to work. So, um, what we did instead, uh, despite all agreement from anyone, uh, (laughs) in that program, (laughs) uh, uh, was we ended up, uh, just doing trainings. So it was held by a pretty prominent person. Kimball Musk, uh, held that program for, uh, uh, he may still be involved in it. I'm not sure. Um, uh, uh, but there was, um, uh, a lot of attention around that program. So people from Korea were coming in and all these tours were being held. So we started holding our training programs. And while we were training them in the seeding, transplanting processes of working in the vertical farm, the systems themselves, what we really started to emphasize was hacking the systems, like showing people what didn't work about them and like why we don't recommend doing it that way. Um, and, you know, uh, again, you know, at the end of that program, we were more or less booted and, (laughs) uh, ended up at the greenhouse in the Bronx growing our food, um, when we had our idea about farm amenities and then kind of pivoted that way. Um, so, uh, more or less we, um, you know, just really kind of took it upon ourselves to say, okay, there's a way in which that this industry is really going. Um, and you know, do we want to go in that route or do we want to like stick to what we said we really wanted to do? And that was to provide access to people, to fresh, freshly harvested, like locally grown food that was sustainable, you know, in a city. And so, um, we committed to that and, um, in, you know, uh, I guess at that point, like for, we never have taken investors in our company. So, uh, just for cash flow and, you know, workability, we continued to grow and sell food until we, uh, landed our first flagship farm amenity farm. Um, at which point, um, now we're at the process of empowering other farmers to do the same in different cities, uh, to scale up if you will. But I, what we really saw for ourselves was that, um, customer financing, uh, was going to be very important to a small farm, uh, being successful, you know? Um, so you had to create a way that you could get a a high ticket item, um, to really manage your cash flow in that. Um, so we were able to accomplish that through our farm amenity models and, uh, put these high impact, free food producing farms in residential buildings, uh, in cities. And now that we see that, you know, we have, I think I was saying that like 
there's in 2023 and 2024, we already have plans for two more in Jersey City, two in West New York, uh, which is also in New Jersey, uh, one in Philadelphia, one in San Diego. And um, I mean, in addition to our farm amenity products, we've supported tremendous amounts of commercial farmers from pepper farmers in Chicago who are food processors creating, you know, pepper sauces and things like that for Caribbean communities uh, that certain peppers aren't available, uh, 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 you know, uh, in, 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 you know, in that, in that section of, or, or available. I mean, it's a, like a landlocked state, um, uh, you know, for, for things being shipped in. Um, but there's also, um, Nonprofit organizations. So we work with nonprofit organizations that and we provide all of their equipment to put them. Some some nonprofits put them in schools for school labs. We work with a, a company called New York Sunworks. Uh, we provide all their equipment um, for their their. Uh, we work with nonprofit organizations that have been around for like 20 years in Massachusetts called Growing Places, where they put all of their uh, their farms in food pantries. Um, you know, uh, we work with. Um, uh, we're installing actually this month a 5,000 square foot greenhouse and the hydroponic systems, automated irrigation, the lights, and the training to a local farmer uh, in Coltonek, New Jersey. Uh, and we put one in a couple of years back in Howell, New Jersey. And they're both market farmers. You know, they're selling them to restaurants in like Red Bank and Asbury Park and Atlantic City and, you know, doing really uh, great uh, regional and we, given how hyper local we are, we call it semi local you know, <laughs> food. <laughs> but um, you know, so we we find we found a way, I guess, you know, in our model to empower cities and regional farms through supporting this new interest that people have in going into farming, um, starting a farm. People have it's 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 actually. Uh, it's comforting and shocking all at the same time. Comforting from the fact that I don't come from a background of farming and have been able to enter into this industry. And then also, you know, shocking in the sense that there are so many people without any experience in growing food that are starting these farms. Or even more weird that they're getting the funding to start the farms. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but, so I yeah. was I was just kind of curious, um, uh, two things. One, um, like how the funding works, um, in the sense of, um, you know, maybe like making a contract with the developers when they're initially building out the building, but like how, if the residents just pay that within utilities or something like that, or that's like an added on thing. Um, and also, um, one thing that I really wanted to ask, and I know this is like two totally different questions, but why, um, why you all chose to pick the system that you picked, which, which is tower gardens, right? Like, like you mostly use tower gardens or, and, and if you could explain that and why, um, you, you all decided to go with that system. Absolutely. Great question. And it's funny, like we've been called everything from like tower farmers to uh, the tower girls, uh, all these things. So like uh, they are probably our most, they not probably, they are our most popular system, particularly for our farm amenity product. We also have installed greenhouses and commercial farms using them. But we, they are not the only system that we use. Um, we actually, they were our first um, contract. So when we were farmers ourselves, uh, growing food out of shipping containers in Brooklyn, New York, we basically um, 
uh, actually, I think you know him, Andrew Bloom. He was someone who worked for uh, uh, the Association of Vertical Farming. And he was at a conference, I think it was in Arizona at the time, speaking to the senior director of Tower Farms who wanted to break into the New York market and wanted to connect with um, farmers uh, uh, to, to help them do that. So our friend Andrew hooked us up, and uh, Tower Farms is based in Tennessee. They flew up to New York, had a meeting with us, and the next day we had our first supplier. So um, that was—and that was actually very interesting, because what happened was in when we were at the, uh, the, the greenhouse in the Bronx, I actually picked up the phone, because when we were at— um, uh, when we were at in Amsterdam at AgTech, or I forgot the name, uh, uh, GreenTech, we basically, um, and I saw this problem happening for confusion in the market, where when there's, so, when there's nine types of hydroponic systems from an engineering perspective, but now probably hundreds of thousands of brands emerging on the market, um, you know, nobody's really that much better than the next guy. So until I found out that they were. So, you know, when you have a lot of these DIY systems, I mean, you spend way more time, your labor costs of like repairing leaks than you ever do growing food. So, um, you know, we just really were honest about that. And we said, oh, don't buy that. Excuse my French. It's crap. You know, it's like, you know, don't, you know. And so we would just have frank, direct conversations with people and we earned their trust. So that was really how we started um, and just said that, you know, um, more or less, you know, these, these, I guess, towers were something that, like, I had called them up looking for a wholesale agreement, but they didn't work on that basis at the time. So um, I just bought a couple, threw them outside of our shipping container, and that's actually what sparked the conversation, because Andrew was in Arizona speaking to them and said, hey, I know girls who are farmers in shipping containers, but they actually like your system better, and they keep them outside because they were injected and molded. They don't leak. They have a high-quality grade of how they are manufactured. Um, you know, you actually can spend your time growing your food and not dealing with all your messes and operations problems. Um, the system's maintenance, so labor perspective as well. Um, easy to clean. So easy. So, you know, like... The cost associated with labor that goes into those particular tasks gets extremely reduced, like extremely. So um, that was one of the reasons why that system worked really well. And especially it would just kind of honestly fell in our laps. It was something that um, a local school farmer um, up in the Bronx had recommended to us. And so I did my due diligence looking into the product. And it really did seem to be made the best. Um, we actually just installed a... Uh, a farm, not including any towers. It's shipping containers. They put in about five shipping containers um, in Hudson, New York, uh, and we um, provided the training to the for all the hydroponic systems. And they were we sold them all the hydroponic systems, but they wanted to work with a local construction company to install them. So as we highly advised them against that, um, because while construction people are excellent at building things and installing what they install, they the small nuances of agriculturally informed decisions, like when you put an out valve that kind of feeds right into your electrical sockets, not so good. You know, so food safety issues, safety issues, um, lots of uh, just, you know, uh, 
regulation, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, I guess, uh, breakdowns, if you want to call them that, <laughs> you know, so, but I mean, literally, I mean, not to be joking about it, like we have saved people hundreds of thousands of dollars in just the construction of their farm. There was one building we put something in and we work with your contractor, we work with your electrician and we are not electricians. We are not contractors. We're not plumbers, but well, some levels were plumbers because we're hydroponic growers, but <laughs> you know, that's to be debated and argued, which we have with plumbers from time to time. But, um, you know, when we're working with them, you know, it's really kind of helping to agriculturally inform what they're doing because I mean, everyone's human, right? Like you have your creative types, like literally we, we just installed a, a farm in St. Peter's university in Jersey city for a science lab that they're doing this season. And the teacher, the Dr. Brandley Kluth had hired us to, um, kind of teach the students actually this year. Um, so we're starting, uh, that this fall and actually it's funny. I was born and raised in Jersey city. The contractor is someone I knew 20 years ago in high school. And so, you know, trying to keep the local politics all happy. I basically said to him, I was like, can I just speak Frank to you? Because, you know, at the end of the day, you want to put up green walls and you want to run a pipe this way, that way, and this way, you know, you know, gravity, right? Like, you know, water flow is important in a hydroponic farm. And if you're making all these bends and elbows and twists and turns, that's exactly what happened in that farm in Hudson, New York. Like they just were like, oh yeah, we'll put a pipe this way and that way and this way and that way. And it was like, tr by the time it went from the irrigation room into the grow room and the container, it was like so low water pressure and like reservoirs taking forever to fill and like really tiny things that, you know, don't have to cost you like a $17,000 mistake, you know, <laughs> so to fix. So, um, a lot of the high costs associated with vertical farming these days, I know for sure is because of mistakes. Um, so, you know, just kind of helping people troubleshoot and just being honest with them about what's going to work and win for them. Yeah, that's great. And and then can you, sorry, can you explain the system itself? I know you deal with a lot of systems, but just like. Now we do, but like I was saying, the Tower Farm was definitely where we started and it's like all over our yeah. website. So people do definitely think that's the only one we sell. We work with Dutch bucket systems. We work with drip, um, a couple of different types of uh, drip irrigation systems. And what we usually align ourselves with in the way of our suppliers are all people like we work directly with our manufacturers. We know them personally. We dine with them. Like, you know, we relationships are very important to us at Green Food Solutions, whether it's with our clients, our suppliers, our farmers, everybody. So we, you know, we're people, people. <laughs> so we, we definitely want this to work out, um, on that level. I, um, we are also, we sell greenhouses, we sell LED lights that have specifically been designed to provide uniform growth on column-based systems or tower-based systems. Um, I think, you know, all of these column or tower-based systems are emerging, you know, patents end. Um, so, uh, things like that, like, you know, uh, there was a, a guy, uh, there's someone we're working with. Um, he may or may not buy the systems from us, but he's uh, been consulting with us and he, he, uh, took our training, but he's a huge grocery store, um, owner in Egypt and he's doing all his R and D in, um, Canada. And he bought like probably about like 10 of about 20 different types of hydroponic systems and he's testing in all of them and you know all of this i mean he, he's doing crazy things honestly that just don't make sense but um like using a tomato for a substrate 
You know, I mean, just like he's just got too much money to spend. But like, <laughs> just does but, he listen to podcasts? Because you know that <laughs> I know, right? I sometimes say seriously, why it's like, wow, if I had a quarter of that money, like again, we took no investment, like we'd be so much further right now. And I really think that like so many cities would be serving, you know, zero carbon food or whatever. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I wanted to ask, you know, what is new local agriculture? Can you talk more about your vision for cities? But before we get to that, I just, I do want to cover off on what Melissa asked, because I think some listeners, we it's not just, you know, a show about CEA, so uh, controlled environment agriculture, indoor farming, um, nor uh, domestic or residential or amenity agriculture, these sort of social relations you're exploring with kind of setting up farms with um, new development or with other other spaces, uh, interior spaces, where maybe you wouldn't expect uh, to have food growing capacity and training around that and, and, and have either whether they're young people or apartment residents or whomever, you know, growing food. So that is super interesting. And I think that model is something we talk about, but also just literally the system. Um, there are different systems, as you say, you're using many, but I think, you know, just, just to name one that, that as you, you remarked on is, is kind of prominent. And I think some people may not know about like these vertical towers, they're like white plastic towers, their water drips down the, the interior and the plants are situated in sort of little, um, little kind of cups on the outside and they, they're pretty efficient. And I, I know um, you've worked with many systems with that specific one. You know, when you see that farm, for example, in Bushwick that y'all set up, it's, you know, to see like, what is it? It, was, it wasn't 100, it was like 70 or so of those. Yeah, 79. Um, yep. Yeah, on, on a roof, 79 of them on a roof. All, you know, I think one time I went, it was almost all, you know, lettuce. And it you just, um, it was kind of amazing. It really looks like a farm. Um, and it's not something you typically see on the roof of a building in New York City. So, you know, just yeah. just throwing it out there that if you I don't know if, if there's anything else you want to say about any of the technologies you work with in terms of um, their function or, or just kind of going into like how, how you use them. But uh, so maybe that is a transition to just the scale and the, working with buildings. But but there is something really interesting and different. And even if people are familiar with these images of right, like you mentioned, Square Roots is like a shipping container um, farming company or the bigger vertical farms that have like warehouses. What you're doing is very different by going in t- inside existing sort of structures or on top of roofs or basements or wherever, right, and, and finding these areas to bring agriculture into as opposed to sort of, um, you know, a big box, uh, sort of big, you know, a black box, right, like a cutoff from the world site. It's it's actually part of some other social dynamic, which I think is, is a little bit different. So I don't know if you have like a response to that overall. It's not really a question. But. No, no. I, it's honestly what, no pun intended, where our roots come from. So 
Electra, who was my co-founder at the time when we first began the company, um, what she really taught me about was food justice and, um, you know, how people didn't have not just the access to food, but even just the choices that you want to make, keep, keeping them culturally relevant and, you know, really having this say in what is grown for you. You know, you go to a grocery store and you get to choose the five types of lettuces where there's like hundreds of types of lettuces, right? You know, not only is that like from my perspective, that depletes our opportunity for nutrition because all different foods have all different levels of, you know, uh, phytochemicals and all of that inside of them that, that feed us. So, you know, but then there's the, the, the social dynamic side of it where people really aren't getting access to food. So like when you think about whether it's an affordable housing building that has a, a farm on top of it and where we started to subsidize the, the, the cost of that food for the people who live there, or whether we actually started our first farm amenity where, you know, we, we worked out the model where that food is now free for the people who live in that building. We have one, we have, we have them now in basements in buildings in Manhattan, you know, that, uh, you know, have all the, the grow lights. We use, um, stack systems. Uh, I think they work really well in like, at the, for example, we have uh, a greenhouse at the, um, the, the Bushwick Brooklyn, uh, uh, farm location, but, uh, that's strictly for our um, propagation and, and, you know, our germination station. But inside, we use stack systems for that. So where, you know, it, that just amplifies your ability to grow food and your seedlings and your seedling production. Sometimes even people in the building, like, take some of the seedlings, like, well, you know, to, to bring to their house and we'll show them how to replant it and things like that. So there's, there's so many different ways that um, the different systems work well in the different environments. So whether it's a stack or rack system. Um, there's uh, different types. We work with like a huge racking system um, similar to, uh, it might even be the same manufacturer that's at Farm One, actually. Um, you know, so uh, they, um, you know, we, we work with that manufacturer directly and, you know, we could put in, you know, warehouse farming uh, at this point. Um, so, you know, the, the systems, our website just definitely doesn't represent, again, not a good marketer, um, but uh, an honest person. <laughs> I mean, we really like at the end of the day, we sell, install and train people how to farm. You know, we'll install your farm, we'll run it for you in the farm amenity situation. We've worked with even like food processors that have, you know, paid us to grow their herbs that go into their Mediterranean spreads uh, that are sold in like Whole Foods and, and things like that. So there's different types of ways in which we've empowered the, the people side of it. So when you think about, you know, so where are all these growers coming from, right? So one of the things that we do is that we look to empower a new local food system. And a lot of that is really empowering people just like ourselves who had very limited knowledge. When I at least speak about myself, Electra is, you know, uh, now a head grower, you know, and like, you know, she's excellent. So she, um, uh, you know, um, I'm not speaking about her in that regard, but like all of the knowledge that I have now about plants and growing was completely learned, uh, throughout the past seven years of being in this business. Um, and, you know, I think what's great about that is that there's this, this calling people are having, like they love sustainability. They love food systems. They're, there's this passion that is just so palpable, uh, right now, you know, where it's, you know, people who have been in the industry get a little like ornery about it because they're like, Oh, I've been in here for 20 years. And, you know, now all of a sudden people are coming in and saying that there's like, you know, this, you know, 
newness to the industry. And I think that's wonderful. I think that, you know, isn't that going to be what we want to empower? We want to empower new trainings, new people entering the industry. Um, and, you know, so while a lot of that is being geared towards plant science and, you know, high level degrees and engineering and, and all of that, we're looking at actually kind of doing for others what we did for ourselves. So we're training, we're basically in the process of franchising and we're empowering other people to start businesses just like our own. So, you know, there's people can come and learn about how they can start their own green food solutions business in their city, set up farm amenities, set up, um, all of their, you know, uh, working with commercial clients, having the ability to be trained themselves in how to grow food, how to sell systems, how to speak about uh, systems maintenance and trainings, and being trained themselves to hold trainings in their areas and cities, just furthering the level of access of this knowledge. So that's more or less how we feel that we're fulfilling upon our mission of empowering a local food system by having developed what we've developed and now sharing that knowledge with other farmers um, who want to start their own green food solutions businesses where they live. That sounds, that sounds great. Um, I was, I was thinking about like, like future aspects of the company and, um, you know, um, the systems being sustainable and, you know, carbon neutral or no carbon. But um, I was wondering for um, if the systems use electricity, um, are you also kind of putting within the systems the idea of using like some kind of renewable energy, like kind of, I don't know if they're already hooked up to like wind power or to solar power or to these kind of other aspects. Um, But has that been like a... Um, is that already within the system or are you all like thinking about doing that or just kind of curious about that? Absolutely thinking about that. Um, gosh, flashing back to, I want to say even, I think, I think we were actually still farming in the square Ridge program at the time. Um, so we were in, after hurricane Maria, we basically were down in Puerto Rico Um, and I can, you know, just be somewhat of an activist. So I made sure I met certain people and I said, we wanted to make a difference, uh, there and ended up getting Royal Caribbean to donate the money for uh, a farm to be installed in a vertical hydroponic farm to be installed, a greenhouse with the solar panels to take it off the grid. Cause even on a good day, like I know actually Puerto Rico right now is going through a pretty bad, uh, hurricane. Um, but honestly, even on the sun, day in Puerto Rico, 35% of the island does not have electricity and it's all because of their grid. So um, storms just exasperate the issue. Um, but that being said, around the farming, so we we actually, it's funny, when we, we I think it was like a, it wasn't a huge farm at all. It was a 12-tower farm, um, a, a community-based farm uh, in Puerto Rico. And we got a, a, a quote from a, um, it was, a, it's funny, the locals, um, 
uh, uh, solar panel uh, company in San Juan, Puerto Rico at the time got all of their stuff from California. So we ended up speaking to the people in California about that. And they they thought they're like they were said basically for the electrical usage of the pumps, because these were being grown in a greenhouse um, uh, without supplemental lighting, um, uh, just for the budget that they had or didn't. Um, uh, basically, um, was going to cost, I think, about, if I remember correctly, between six and eight hundred dollars to take it off the grid. So, you know, I mean, that's nothing, you know, so um, that that was really, you know, educational to me at the time. So I what I what that basically just said to me in a nutshell was like, wow, you can really scale taking these, uh, particularly in greenhouses, you know, where you're not actually like indoor high intense growing with all the lights and all of that. It, it, it's just it's actually doable to take it off the grid. Um, so there just has to be that commitment, you know, to doing it. Um, and it, it didn't seem to be that expensive. Actually, one of the major things that we um, have been told from everybody is that the prices everyone else is quoting them, because it's not like they meet with us and don't meet with other people who come across like 20,000 times more professional. You know what I mean? Like, but like, again, what they have told us is that we're honest and we really commit to working with them uh, for the success of their, their, their farms. Um, uh, I guess like Howard Hughes came to us about two years ago, visited the denizen, like, I thought I had, like, uh, an hour to sell this guy on the concept and all of this. And the minute I said, oh, and this only cost about $30,000 to put in, he was like, we make mistakes for $30,000 in our construction projects. So he immediately had me down to the South Street Seaport. They have, uh, actually now, it's already built out. They have Malibu Farms there, a huge, um, I think it's like a concert hall on top of P Pier 17. Um, so they own... Uh, the land leases for like all Fulton Square and all of that. So they're working with us on a, a community farm down there. Um, but, you know, really, really huge, um, you know, I think projects and concerns of people about how much it actually costs to put in these farms. So I wonder, like, how much is this just about like the manufacturers? You know, I mean, when I actually in the beginning, now I just have a way that I work with people or I won't work with them. But, um, because uh, there's a lot of shadiness in this industry. <laughs> They're like, um, you know, so like I've had people, manufacturers talk to me and be like, well, what do you think you could get for it? And why don't you work with us on, you know, how much can we really jack up the price for our lights? Well, you know, I mean, like with suppliers from like China to uh, Europe to like all of them just trying, I'm like, okay. So this is the problem I saw when I was at Green Tech. Because I was like, everyone's just trying to figure something out. So for the people who actually want to invest in starting a farm, it's like, God forbid you take this advice. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so, and I think that's what a lot of problems have started. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, there's a lot of hopefully good farms and good construction happening. But what we have seen in every farm we've installed is that that is the problem. That's where the money comes in. That's where the expense and all of that is happening. Um, so, you know, to buy systems, to install them, and to get a farm service to take care of it for you or to have your staff trained to have that isn't the big deal, you know, um, or the big expense.
so um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how that translates, or but I hope people kind of like, you know, if they're working on things, if you know, I mean, I like to think that like everyone's coming up with the same bright idea at the same time, you know. So like, there's so much competition in this industry, and I, I, I can't say that like in the beginning I didn't feel like a little like pressured by it myself, but then it's just like you have to get back to what's important to you and what your your values are. So honestly, in our company, we kind of detached from like the ag community for a little while, you know, to kind of get away from just that head game, I think a little bit of like how people don't really play with each other very well. So, (laughs) um, or at least in our experience. So, um, yeah, like there's, there's, I think inside of our vision, um, our vision is literally to see cities filled with farms. Every single building has a farm in it, zero carbon associated with the transportation of that food. And that's our mission. Like, that is our vision. Our vision is to empower that local food system by training farmers, training businesses to start in cities, and then, you know, just getting them this quality equipment, getting them low-cost, high-quality equipment. I mean, when you think about it, at the end of the day, the people who have been creating these systems, um, it's kind of funny. From an engineering perspective, you're talking about a tower garden and how it works before, Wythe. Like, you know, everyone calls it an aeroponic system. And it is, but like there's high pressure aeroponics and then there's low pressure aeroponics, if you're familiar with that. And it would definitely be a low pressure aeroponic system because it has none of that clogging. It doesn't even have little valves and spout systems. So, you know, uh, it, it literally is kind of like the mixture of uh, aeroponic and a flood and drain system in a weird way, because it just kind of brings all of the water up to the top and then it rains down in this way. Uh, that is hitting the plant roots. The plant roots are suspended in air, being mist, not misted, but dripped on. So it's like a combination of stuff, which I thought was really also cool about the system, you know, and they put some really good thought into it. Like, um, I mean, NASA is behind that product. Uh, it's all over Disney. Like, I mean, like major, you know, uh, what, you know, huge companies and organizations where quality, food safety, durability, warranty, you know, customer satisfaction, um, uh, you know, um, uh, all, all of that is like put into these products. So, you know, when I think about, you know, why I work with them, uh, that's why, like, because they really are something that is going to last. Actually, it's funny, the, the developer or the, the person who came up with them, um, was it called had, has conversations with us all the time. He's like, I dare you to throw it off of a a store, like an eight or 10 story building. I dare you. Nothing's going to happen to it. Nothing's going to happen to it. I'm like, yeah, right. Uh, I'm going to get put in jail for doing that. So (laughs) that's what's going to happen. But I mean, they're durable and they definitely aren't leaking. Like we haven't had any leaks in any of our farms with that system. Like ever, (laughs) which is cool. Uh, The only time is if like the substrate is like not in right. And then it kind of is really just the water flow is not going properly and you just correct that. But that's like, you know, the system itself is pretty strong. Um, I would say the same thing too for uh, the grow rack systems that we use um, and the different stacks is very high quality made. Um, Dutch buckets, beta buckets, you know, not a lot of technology in that necessarily. You know, I, I mean, in my opinion, uh, you know, I think that that's a pretty uh, basic standard system. Um, I think it's really your plumbing that makes that a winner or a loser you know, um, and how it's installed. Um, so, uh, 
um, let me see. Uh, and then, you know, there's, you know, NFT channels. I definitely, uh, find those fine. We don't actually work with NFT channels because we do, uh, you know, work in cities and vertical it just makes more sense. So that's a lot. I feel like we're really, we're, we're, we're hopping around the world and we're hopping back and forth. And it's interesting how you narrate green food solutions as a business and how it's grown. Um, because there is this anchoring event of your real strong interest in health and then intersecting with Electra and her interest in farming. And then both of you feeling a little bit dissatisfied with some of the, the way that vertical farming was becoming in vogue, but wasn't necessarily tied to some business realities and some real opportunities for how people actually live and work and how to capture some of that interest. And then discovering one technology, which doesn't limit or define you, but it was like one way into a vision for your company and how to kind of go from site to site and say, hey, we could train farmers, we can set up a farm um, and learn that know-how yourself and just kind of accrue knowledge and very rapidly apparently gain this big base of people who are who are interested or like, yeah, farming, cool, it's in now. And so, you know, the, it's like a quote-unquote amenity, even just describing farming that way. I mean, Melissa, I don't know how weird that is to you as someone who worked in this field for a while when it was not, you know, an amenity. Um, but just, just to say, you know, thanks for that sort of jumping back and forth and giving us a look at some of the tech and, um, and how it ladders up to this vision for a world where, um, you know, there's more local food growing by more people. And, you know, some of that language of, of trying to increase access, it makes me think of the term food sovereignty beyond food mm -hmm. justice so that more people are empowered with the tools to control their own sort of nutrition and intake. So that, that definitely seems like, um, and not necessarily the most obvious way to go about it from the kind of longstanding tradition of food justice and food sovereignty, which are not always the best of, of mates, um, mm. but that you would approach sort of real estate developers and say, hey, we're going to install these these farms. So it's an interesting sort of different angle there. Mm. Um, but just, you know, I know we're, we're, we're probably out of time. So I think, you know, I would just I would just say maybe uh, if you have any um, last question, Melissa, and then maybe if, uh, you know, beyond that, Mary, if you have any quick thoughts or anything you want to shout out, um, uh, you know, let, let us know. But we, we're, we're almost out of time and there's so much more we could talk about. We'll have to sort of, you know, continue this conversation again. Uh, but yeah, Melissa, uh, do you want to wrap us up? Oh, I was just going to um, say, uh, Mary, thank you so much for taking the time, uh, most likely at, out of your very busy schedule to to speak with us. Um, and yeah, and we really appreciate it. And it was very lovely meeting you. So thank you. No, the pleasure was mine, Melissa. Thank you very much. And thank you, Weiss. And thank you, Liam. Um, thank you all, honestly. Uh, I think that this is um, important to us from a story perspective. We, if I guess, end on this note, um, one of the nonprofits we recently just um, started to partner with uh, is called uh, Growing Peace. Uh, I think the boy, the young man who started it is about 13 years old. And we just installed a farm in... Um, it's Washington Heights, uh, uh, it, the Winehouse building. It's uh, a 100-unit, 14-story uh, building that is for the mobily impaired uh, and elderly communities. And um, they're now having access to free food. So even if they didn't live in a food desert, they wouldn't have the mobility or access to leaving their facilities to go purchase this food and like that. So um, you can check it out on uh, LinkedIn if you want to see their happy faces and smiling as they had their first harvest just last week. And um, it was really awesome. Uh, same same nonprofit for women. Uh, we installed a, a, a tower farm inside of a uh, with uh, rack systems uh, and Dutch buckets, actually, for um, 
uh, a house of women in uh, um, uh, Inwood that is basically for incarcerated women. Um, uh, So, you know, just the duality of what we do um, in a city is literally to address every single person. So whether you are the richest of the rich and living in the biggest luxury building, and most of these buildings, at least in New York City, are upward of 30% affordable housing. Um, It's the only way that uh, cities, or it's the only thing they've come up with thus far, hopefully there's more to come, but it's what they've come up with thus far of offsetting gentrification, right? So um, these buildings that have farms in them, and then these organizations that are putting farms in that same city, and then we just took on a restaurant group that has 11 restaurants in New York, uh, two in Philly, one in Brooklyn. They're starting a farm. So we're hoping that, like, in this infiltration of farms and cities on all scales, like for all people of all economic standings, that that is how you truly create resilience in a city. You bring business dollars and tax dollars into a city that way. Um, you bring empowerment to people for the workforce that's now going to work in these farms, get educated and trained. And literally, our whole design is that we hold their hand in doing it. You know, we spent six years figuring this out ourselves, and now we just want to invite anyone who wants to learn about vertical farming themselves, feels like a newbie like we did back in the day, and you want to learn about it, you could take our training programs, you could start your own green food solutions business. Just hit us up. We're happy to talk. Great. Well, with that, um, thank you so much for your time, Mary. Your, your uh, passion, you know, comes through. It's very obvious. And um, you're very knowledgeable now about this whole range of topics. And it is funny to think that, yeah, not that long ago, like like say, I didn't, I didn't really think about it that way, but that you, you're you sort of new to vertical farming um, in this world. So, um, yeah, it's, it's great that you've brought uh, more uh, opportunities for horticulture to so many spaces and people. And it's, uh, I'm curious to see sort of how this experiment evolves and where Green Food Solutions goes and how's it, how it works out deals and whatnot next. Uh, All right. Well, happy growing, everyone. And uh, we'll be back next week. Fields is powered by Riverside. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.